Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dallas Step Discussion for another Monday night in the middle of July. It's hard to believe, but we're already a month into the shorter days of this year, this being the 20th day of July, one day before my birthday. I turn 38 tomorrow. Ah. Oh, now you claim to be younger than me. I'm only 42 because I don't count the weekends. Yeah. Well, I learned how to count backwards. Well, nobody else counts the weekends, well, so the, why should I? Well, Terry, the thing that you got to remember when it comes to this stuff, I really don't know for sure because I have no firsthand fact information as to when my birthday is. It's, it, it, any evidence I have is hearsay, and it came from two people that told me they were my parents, but I don't even know that to be fact. So That's true. Um, you know, I mean, when you look at this from an evidentiary standpoint, um, it's all up in the air. You can't prove it in a court of law, right? There you go. There you go. All right. Well, uh, again, I'd like to welcome everybody. Uh, it is summertime. I know things are a little uh, uh, slower in the summer. We, we've had uh, pretty good numbers of people on the calls, which is great. I'm, I'm glad to see that people aren't letting up in the summertime because uh, it's easy for people to do that. And believe me, the... Uh, uh, the people on the other side of the debt collection industry, they don't let up. They're going to pound you, pounce on you, and pick your pockets uh, every single day of the year if they can. So uh, you've got to be able to uh, learn what you need to do to stand up to them. But in in the course of doing that uh, and being on this call, what you're going to hear is discussion of legal issues. It surely isn't legal advice. Um, first of all, I don't know what legal advice is, so I have no clue how how I could ever provide that to somebody. Uh, and to my knowledge, there isn't anybody else other than attorneys that do come on our calls. And we do have attorneys that join us on the calls. And if we have any attorneys with us tonight, welcome. Thank you for joining us, as long as you're on the consumer side. If you're on the other side, maybe you got something better to do on a Monday night. Uh, but we also do know that our calls are monitored by the uh, collection industry. Uh, there's no question of that. And that's fine. Uh, we're uh, hopefully uh, they're going to learn something about following the law from listening to our calls, and that's all we want them to do. Just follow the law. And if you follow the law, then we don't have any problems with what you're doing whatsoever, and we couldn't make any claims against you. So the bottom line is we have discussion of legal issues. We don't give legal advice. We don't know what it is. We couldn't if we tried. And if we're talking in, in the course of uh, answering questions for people and say, well, you want to do this or you want to do that, please understand that the context of what we're saying is that this is what we would do if we were in a similar situation to yours. You know, we don't give advice. We make suggestions. 
but uh, you want to do this or that, file a motion to dismiss or uh, file a, uh, a motion to strike or something like that. We're, that's a suggestion on our part. We don't tell people what to do. We never have. We're not going to. Uh, we're not experts, but I will tell you that the moderators that are on this call, Jeff, John, Terry, myself, uh, are all litigators. We all have litigated in federal court on multiple occasions. So uh, a lot of what we talk about is from personal experience, but uh, there's also an educational side to it. We've studied a lot. We've learned a lot. And one of the ways we learn things is from you. All of you that participate on the calls, that come with questions, you create um, curiosity in us at times where we go and dig and look for answers to things that we didn't know before simply because you provoke our curiosity by asking your questions. And that's wonderful. If we can't answer a question, if we don't have the knowledge to answer your question, hopefully we can uh, provide information, at least a direction for you to go and find the information you need. Again, we're not ex experts. We don't hold ourselves out to be experts. We're not lawyers. We're just like you. We're Americans, and we've learned how to stand up for our rights. We've learned about the consumer protection statutes. We've learned about the proper use of the existing court system. We don't deal with the administrative processes. They may be right, but they are against public policy. You're not going to be able to use them with any kind of success. So we don't even go there. And that's the bottom line. We don't even get into discussing any of that. So uh, our whole approach is focused on understanding the statutes that are on the books right there. They're called consumer protection statutes. You're a consumer. They're there to protect you. But they can only protect you if you take action to utilize them if your rights are violated under those statutes. And that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about. I'm going to be doing a uh, webinar for members of Jesse's website tomorrow night, uh, TCPA, Back to the Basics. And... Uh, we're just going to talk about a bunch of this stuff because we've come a long way from the beginning on this stuff. And uh, for any of you that are curious, when I talk about Jesse's website, you can get to his website by simply opening a browser and typing in knockoutcollectors.net. And uh, that'll take you right to his site. All you got to do is put in your name and your email address and uh, click the button. And what you're doing is you're registering and you're uh, saying, I want you to send emails. Then you're going to get an email back right away, just so you understand. If you, don't, if you don't see something in your inbox right away, look in your spam folder because you'll get an email back. It's automated. And there's a link in that, which you click on, and that's for opt-in purposes for spam. Everything's done above board legally and everything else. There's no you know, sneaky un, you know, under-the-carpet stuff. That's not the way we uh, uh, do things. We're above board in what we do. So uh, you'll have a link in that email. Click on that. You'll get a second email back, and that will have a link in it as well. It will get you into the free part of the website. Yes, there is a cost to access all of the information on the website because websites don't come free. 
webmasters don't come free. Hosting doesn't come free. Webinar setups don't come free. But the cost is very minimal. And the best part is, for anybody that's considering getting involved and learning to protect their own rights, you can do it risk-free for 60 days. Uh, it's Jesse's website. He has control over it. I don't. Terry doesn't. John doesn't. Jeff doesn't. We have no part in that. We simply uh, uh, work with the material that's in there. We do contribute some to the material that's in there. But the bottom line is you, you can become a member and have access to everything for $99 for the first month and $49 a month for as long as you want to be a member. There's no commitments, no, nothing says you've got to do it for six months or a year or anything. And you have a full 60 days to utilize it. And if for whatever reason you decide it's not for you, doesn't matter why, all you have to do is follow the instructions and make a request for a credit on your account or whether you use a credit card or you know PayPal or whatever, and they will reverse the charge. And it doesn't cost you a thing. And generally, the, the few that have done that, and there's been very few, uh, the few that have done that, when they look at the records, they found that those people only visited the site like once or twice. They signed up, thought it was really cool, and then they never went back, and they didn't utilize it. Well, that's why they wanted their money back. And, and you know, they should get their money back. If they're not going to use it, don't pay for something you're not going to use. But the bottom line is it's out here. There's nothing else like it on the web. There's a tremendous amount of information, four and a half years collectively of information, webinars weekly, uh, phone calls, all sorts of information. There's a, a, a forum in there with questions and answers, literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of postings. So if you are not standing up for your rights because you don't know how, there's your source. And then you've got this call on Monday night. There's a call every other week that's open on Blog Talk Radio that's associated with the website. That's on Tuesday nights. And then Terry has a call on Wednesday nights. And we're here at our expense, time-wise, because we don't get paid. We've never been paid anything for this. We all volunteer our time every week. I've been here three nights a week for years, so is John, Jeff, and Terry. Uh, we do this to help you because it's the right thing to do. We've learned things, so we want to share the knowledge with you and try and help you where we can. All we ask you to do in return is to, when you learn this, pay it forward. When you have the opportunity to help someone else, because you've learned how to deal with a situation. You run into somebody that needs some help or there's somebody close to you that maybe needs some extra help that hasn't quite got the knowledge level that, that you have, that you reach out and you help that person. <clears throat> That's all we ask in return for all the time and effort that we put in. And we've had a lot of people do that. It's uh, We're all supposed to be helping each other. Uh, that's what uh, this country was founded on, It's everybody helping take care of everybody else instead of being an island. Uh, they've promoted individuality, and that's so that they control everybody. And we're trying to bring people back as a community so that we learn to help each other. And when somebody is in need, that they... Uh, they get the help that they need. Now, there's somebody that's making some noise on the call because they're not muted. I'm going to ask everybody that's not speaking, in other words, everybody but me, to hit star six on your phone and mute yourself so that we don't have all that 
inadvertent noise. And uh, when the time comes for you to speak, uh, to unmute yourself, all you have to do is hit star six, and it'll say, you are unmuted. And of course, if you're not muted, like right now, you hit star six and listen to your phone, it'll say, you are muted, in this nice, friendly, female voice. So the, the bottom line is, please keep yourself muted so we don't hear all the extraneous noise. There's hundreds of people that listen to these calls on Archived. There's hundreds and hundreds of people that listen to these calls so that they can learn. And uh, the bottom line is that's what this call is about. It is about learning. It is about people learning how to use the courts properly and understand the consumer protection statutes. That's, that's the whole ball of wax. The other thing is, it's your call. It's not my call. I'm only the one that creates it, pushes the buttons, makes it happen every Monday. But we are here every Monday. This is our seventh year. I've never missed a Monday since I started in 2009. So uh, you can always count on us being here. We're, we are at a two-hour call now. We started that several months ago, but uh, we're always here. So with that said, we always start with good news, and then after good news, we go to questions. And uh, once we get done with good news, if you have questions to put yourself in the queue, all you have to do is hit star 8 on the keypad on your phone. Please have yourself muted using star 6 before you do that. Saves me a step and saves a little bit of time. But uh, we always start out with good news, so if anybody has any good news, you can just speak up. And you don't have to raise your hand to do that. I got a couple of things to share here. First of all, along the lines of what you were just saying a couple of minutes ago, and this goes out to all of the group, all the callers and the the uh, moderators on this call, and it's an example of what a great value we are to one another. One of our members sent me a link yesterday via Skype to a program run by the CFPB that I was not aware even existed. And I was just thrilled because they call it their amicus program. And um, for those of you on the call who don't know what an amicus brief is, amicus is Latin for the term friend of court. And in certain cases, you will often see, uh, especially in appeals court, Supreme Court, where uh, government agencies like the CFPB, the FTC, the FCC, large uh, law schools, professors, well-known treatise writers like Peter Holland or Lenny Bennett or Dali Jimenez, will write a brief in support of one side or the other's argument in a case. And those are called amicus briefs. And anyway, this project that is run by the CFPB, if you have a case that you know is going to be or is currently filed in one of the um, district circuit appeals courts that the uh, um, first through the there's eleven right Dave right. yeah 
Yeah, one of the circuit courts, depending on what area you're in. But if you have a case that's going to be or has been filed in the uh, appeals court, you can send an email. It's very, very simple. Um, to the CFPB and request that they submit a, an amicus brief on your behalf. And you have to include the case name, the docket number, circuit or district court name, the brief description of the case and the issue, an explanation of why you believe they should file an amicus brief in the case, uh, the current status of the litigation, and your contact information. And if you are not, and it's said here, uh, we recommend that you read our facts before submitting your request, especially if you're not an attorney. So, of course, I read that. And according to the facts, they read every single case that is suggested to them. And you can well imagine, since this is a public, publicly available program, they probably get quite a few requests for amicus briefs. Now, that doesn't mean absolutely that they will uh, choose to do yours, but they will read it. They will weigh its merits, and then they will choose whether or not to weigh in with an amicus brief. Um, that's very exciting. They have a list there on the website and below the little outline of the program, of the briefs they have filed in what Circuit Court of Appeals and a short synopsis of what the issue in the case was about. And that was sent to me by one of our members, Sherry. Thank you so much, Sherry. You have no idea how valuable that is going to be to me and probably many more of our members. So that's just a really good example of what a great support mechanism we are for one another. Not just me and Dave and John and Jeff and Jesse and Larry, just us. Everybody. Everybody contributes. And that's why we are making a difference. So that was one thing I wanted to share. Thanks so much, Sherry, for sending that. The other thing is I will be hosting the special conference call this Saturday night, at this coming Saturday night, July 25th at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard on my conference line. Excuse me. Um, for those of you who had watched the videos I sent out two or three weeks ago and would like to learn how the very technology being used to destroy our planet and reduce the human population to a number that can be controlled as mindless slaves to those who think they're superior can instead be used to heal our planet and protect humanity. In other words, how to make sure that your physical body is off their grid. Like me, I, I was unaware um, that the, the health protocol I've been on for the last two years also took me off their grid, me and my granddaughter. And imagine how happy I was to know that. But that's because it's extremely dangerous information. And nearly all of the scientists who were using that 
technology for the good of humanity were rendered horizontal for their efforts. So one of them that is left is going to be speaking on my special conference call this Saturday night. If you have not sent me an email to be included on that call, please do so. The only reason I want to have a list of email addresses of the attendees of the call is in case there are documents or further information that I need to send out either during or after the call, or uh, some of you may want a, a recorded call link. So I would prefer that I, I have a list of people who wanted to be included in the call. Obviously, it's a very dangerous uh, issue for this individual to be speaking about publicly, and um, that's why I didn't just send out mass emails. That's my second thing. Thank you, Dave. You're very welcome. And uh, I would like to thank Sherry as well for uh, passing on that information about the CFPB uh, amicus brief uh, program. I had no idea of that, but uh, that's her uh, site with that information is in my favorites now. And depending on what happens with my stuff, it might come in handy in the future. So uh, it's awesome. anyway. Isn't it awesome to know that you're not just sending a request and they take a quick once over of the docket and and say now nah, we don't we don't want to be interested no it's wonderful to know that they are actually going to go in there and they're going to read it and they're going to give your case a chance in their decision making right and uh, you know obviously the things that they'll view as most important are going to be cases of first impression which yours happens to be Mine has three of them. <laughs> Everything about my case is something they have not weighed in on yet. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that ought to be very, very interesting. So, anyway, thank you again, Sherry. That was great. Um, and that's uh, that's what we talk about. What I was saying earlier about uh, us helping each other. We all have to learn to do that because, uh, you know, there's far more uh, strength in numbers than there is in singularity. And uh, that's what we're trying to do is get people to work together and cooperate together, learn together, and then help each other. And uh, as I said, the only thing that we ask for all of our efforts is that you pay it forward. You know, we don't do documents for people. We don't do things uh, for people. We help educate you. And believe me, uh, it's been many thousands of hours since we started this that we've put into this stuff, uh, doing various things. And uh, it's a labor of love for us. And the music to our ears is whenever we hear you talk about having success in some form, utilizing the information that we help disseminate and help you guys learn. That's the, the sweetest music we can hear. And speaking of success... Does anybody else have any good news? Well, somebody just sent me some news that I think those of you in Texas should consider really good news. There's a reason Texas demanded their gold back. Because they're smart. Well, there's more than that reason. <laughs> Apparently, Texas is establishing a gold-backed bank. Yeah, yeah, a bullion bank. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh -huh. Now that's really, really good news for all of the residents of Texas 
and hopefully they'll allow people in other states to have accounts. Wouldn't that just be sweet? It's my understanding that there are some other states considering the same. But uh, awesome. the, the, the main news is about Texas, and uh, I'm proud to say that I do live in Texas. All right. Any other good news? Man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I could pass any of that. Uh, you don't have to surpass that. You got some good news? I do. How you doing? Well, dude? let's hear it. I'm doing good. How are you, Brian? Good. Yeah, I got a call today on my cell phone, a robocall that left a message for an ex-employee of mine about nine years ago. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> and uh, the funny thing was they didn't identify themselves. They went through a whole dissertation about her personal finances and a subpoena, and she, she has a lawyer. They should, the lawyer should contact them. And then they mentioned her name. Oh, boy. And then um, it went right back through the same original verbiage. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, That's tweet news, Brian. I think they've got a problem on their hands. Well, I didn't call them back quite yet to discuss the problem. (laughs) No, no, just in case, you know, I mean, you never know if the phone's going to ring again for a similar purpose, but, um, I mean, you have no obligation to call them back right away. No, I'll uh, give them a chance to to clarify themselves. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, you never know. Um, I actually got several calls on my cell phone. I hadn't, I've been busy with other stuff and I hadn't even thought about it. I've got to go look at it, but I, I know I had a, a debt collector call at least once or twice. And, uh, you know, I'll have to see what happens with that. But it looks like you're off to a good start. So, yeah, it's sweet, sweet music. Yeah. I mean, uh, if these people want to break the law, um, that's just it. And, and what's kind of interesting is there's been some... Uh, some comments out here with the latest uh, TCPA uh, information, you know, the, uh, this, the stuff with the ruling from the CFPB. Uh, uh, let's see if uh, here's one. Uh, yeah. TCPA postmortem. Don't <laughs> restart your ATDS yet. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that one. That was a good one. Yeah, this is from Collections and Credit Risk, and uh, it's uh, actually by Joanne Needleman, uh, who is an attorney, and she just happens to be on the advisory board. I give you uh, Joanne Needleman is a leader of Clark Hills Consumer Financial Services Regulatory and Compliance Group. She has successfully defended creditors against claims brought under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act and Fair Credit Reporting Act, as well as state statutes. She is the current president of the Board of Directors of the National Association of Retail Collection Attorneys and serves on the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's Consumer Advisory Board. And her early comments in here, a week has passed since the collections and credit world was turned upside down by the Federal Communications Commission when it issued a declaratory ruling and order regarding Telephone Consumer Protection Act with the dust settling and the industry exhaling the proverbial what's next leads boardroom agendas and is a central point on conference calls. Well, you know, the robocalls continue, everybody, just like I figured they would, and these companies, uh, 
they're playing Russian roulette when they do that. And when they get caught, they're going to squeal, Oh, we didn't mean to do it. Well, you know what? The TCPA is right out there for everybody to see, and it was clarified again. And they don't like it, and they're still squealing. But the bottom line is, if you violate the law and you run into one of the people that uh, is part of our group, chances are you're going to have some kind of a, a bill to pay one way or another. Because if you violate our rights, we're going to make you accountable for it. That's all. We're not asking for anything we're not entitled to. So, but, Well, uh, my, my, ex, my ex-roommate had 44 calls, and we were waiting for the Mays appeal, which happened, I believe, last year. Uh-huh. And, and uh, then, you know, she went off on her own way and then recently came back into town. And I was telling her about the declaratory ruling, and she's like, oh, that means I should reinvestigate the claims. She has 44 calls. Oh, wow. Well, so, yeah. It's, against one of your favorites, IC Systems. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> they just, and uh, one they more thing, based on your mathematical equation, I'll be 21 in 10 days, so I should be able to file my first affidavit. Wow, you'll actually be able to go out and get a legal drink. <laughs> <laughs> what a deal. The operative huh? word legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, anyways, thank, thanks too to Sherry. That was great news that Perry just uh, shared with the CFPB and the amicus briefs. Yep, yep. We'll take all that kind of information we can get. Well, thanks for your news, Brian. That's, that's great. Just, you know, see what happens. I mean, if they want to violate your rights, they can pay the tab. That's the way things work. That's what the law says. I'll, I'll certainly make them. I'm sure I'll talk will. to you guys later. All righty. Okay, who else has got some good news for us tonight? Good news can be any number of things, obviously. Hey, Dave, I got some good news. Hey. This is, uh, this is Jack. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I had the... I had the um, I called in, I believe it was about two weeks ago, and I had the defendant that filed the motion to vacate for a medical emergency, and he struck out all the court about it. Yeah, well, that was last week, and she denied it, so that's awesome. (laughs) And I brought up exactly what you said. I said it to her exactly how you told me to, and she really liked it. And she even said, she said, uh, she goes, I find your argument extremely interesting. (laughs) And she was like, like smiling, so... So and and exactly think. what was your argument? And just so just so everybody uh, understands, just briefly. Well, at the bottom of the motion, there's a part where it says, I swear under the penalties of perjury uh, all to be true and correct. And he struck that out and he wrote in, to the best of my knowledge. And so it wasn't, in my belief, a proper, like what you guys said, a proper um, affidavit. affidavit. Right. And so I told her, I said, I believe it's defective. And um, she started laughing <laughs> when I said that. And uh, she was shaking her head, like nodding her head yes, like um, like kind of like she agreed. And she was very, very, uh, very nice, like very, like as I was going, she was smiling and everything else, like she knew exactly what I was trying to do. And she even almost seemed like she was helping me at one point because the defendant was saying some stuff. And she looked at me and just said, do you have anything to say to that? <laughs> and kind of made a face. <laughs> uh-huh. And so I did, and that's when I told her about the defect and everything, and she was like really nodding her head, yeah. And so then she um, denied his motion, so that was cool. So everything is good to go. I still have yeah, my judgment on that one. 
And I think I think what you ran into, you're talking what about a magistrate judge here? Uh, yeah, oh, she was a pro tem. This one. Okay. Um, yeah. The I think what you ran into there was somebody that appreciates the fact that you're you're learning something about the law and understand a little bit about it and about affidavits and stuff. You showed that with what you stated there. You didn't come in as the typical pro se dunce. Right. Well, you know that the same lady I had her a few months back, and she uh, she's really I only accept two pro tems in the court. That out of any of them, I only accept two of them because they're the only two that seem to be somewhat just. And she's one of them. And um, I had her a few a few months back, and she was the just very uh, very interested because a lot of the pro tems don't even know what the TCPA is, and they've told me that I've had numerous of them tell me that they've never even heard of it. And so um, that, you know, a lot of the judges aren't getting their, or pro tems aren't taking their continuing education. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. You know, yeah, a lot of them aren't aware. And so when I showed her, this was a few months back, I was showing her, and this was in the middle of the trial, um, the defendant said something about there was a previous, um, we had a previous relationship. And so she looked at me and asked me, she goes, well, what about that? And so then I showed her that that had been eliminated, a prior business relationship. And when she read that in my evidence, she she even said, she goes, interesting, <laughs> like that. Uh-huh. And so she was very – she's always smiling when I come in, and so I do believe that she actually does have a respect for what we're doing. So that's Well, and that, and that f- makes you feel really good, and it makes you feel good about her that you're just – she recognizes that, and you're getting a fair shake, which is yeah, all absolutely. we want, right? That's all you yeah. want. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I've had numerous times where I absolutely did not get a fair shake in there. You know, I yeah. didn't realize they were actually attorneys at the time, but but now I do. My other um, bit of good news is also last week I had another another small claims TCPA with a FCRA impermissible pool, and I won that one as well. And that one I actually had I went through a sitting judge, so I told them I didn't stipulate to a pro tem, so they gave me a, an actual sitting judge. And that didn't even take 30 seconds. He, I walked in front of that guy, and it was almost like I was an inconvenience at first. <laughs> and so he said, "What do you?" He goes, "He goes, what do you have to tell me?" And I said, uh, "I said, well, are you familiar with the TCPA?" And he goes, "I know everything." <laughs> and I said, "Okay." I said, "Okay. Uh, well, if you know everything, then I guess I don't have anything else to tell you. It's all here in my evidence." And he goes, "Okay, have a nice day." It wasn't even 30 seconds, and then he had a in the mail that same day in my favor. So that was very awesome. So that's wow. Well, did the other side even show up on that one? No, no. They didn't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That always so helps still have when to, the other yeah, side doesn't argue, you know? Yeah, definitely. You still have to get up there and go through it and, and right. you know. You make your appearance. Stuff. Exactly. You follow so, the rules. What a concept, huh? Yeah, really. Yeah, it goes your way when you, when you read those rules. Hey, thanks, Dave. Thanks, guys, for everything. You're very welcome. Thank you for stepping up and and utilizing it and making things happen for yourself. That's great. All right. I love it. Thanks, guys. Okay, bye. All right. Who else has got some good news for us? Hello. We can hear you. Hey, Dave, this is Wayne in Chicago, buddy. How's it going? Hey, pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing fabulous. Hey, I guess I will consider this good news. Uh, regarding my wife's case, um, 
we supposed to get discovery according to the minute docket that says um, we're supposed to get discovery from them um, before actually 720, which is today. Well, they sent it to us today via email, which we're refusing service through the email for discovery. So so I, I remember you saying that one time before, and I stuck with that because I had, did that before in a previous case, which was great. But anyway, uh, here's my good news. <laughs> Even though that we refused service uh, for the discovery, um, they put on their request for production, they put the instruction and the definition, but they did not put instruction and definition for the interrogatory. So we have no instructions or definitions for that. And... It, this stuff is so boilerplate, it's unbelievable. They didn't specify the year that they're trying to collect on. They were scared to put that in there, it seems like. They even asked, admit that you own a computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I have never seen anything like this before. I told my wife, I have never seen anything like this before. But I was going to wait and ask you the question regarding that uh, instruction and definition because what I understand is you're supposed to have it. But uh, um, or else we can't identify anything, yada, yada. But I'll get into that when you get off the good news part. But that's my part of good news is that they sent us in, uh, discovery via email, and we never gave the permission to do that. I only gave the, the courts and them the, uh, the name, or what my wife did, the name, the address, and the phone number. We did not give them the email. We never admitted to uh, or accepted them to do it via email. Right. And they sent, they sent it everything late, Dave, is what I'm trying to say, uh, even from answering the complaint. So I'm just trying to show a pattern that they're doing stuff wrong. So my good um, news it, is... Yeah, it, what it appears to me is you, you got some... Well, I guess maybe you just got to say it the way it is. Stupid attorneys that are milking their client. Yes, that's exactly what me and Sam from Illinois was saying today. I called him earlier, and the same thing that he was saying also, because uh, I've never been on your Monday night call, and he gave me the number. I told him I'm going to get on your call this evening, and I didn't have the number, and he gave it to me real quick, so I didn't have to go online to get it. So anyway, uh that's my part of my good news regarding that is because when they didn't put the instructions and definition over the interrogatories, they didn't say that you um, have to do this under uh, under perjury or whatever. Under penalty of perjury, uh, yeah. Under, yeah. They didn't put none of that stuff in, in, in the statement. Yeah, well, wait wait a while and send it back to them or uh, cut, go back to them and tell them, you know, you, you sent uh, – a bunch of questions with no instructions attached. Well, we, you know. well, Dave, Dave, I sent them an email today telling them that we're going to we're not accepting service via the email for discovery, and and I tell and I didn't tell them that yet because I want them to send me the hard copy the same way. Right. So then I'll tell them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, sounds to me like some stupid attorneys that are milking their client. You know, yeah, I don't, so I would, that's just a guess on my for your call. I'll for your call, Dave, because I want to get just a little bit into it real quick, and then I'm done. <laughs> okay. Thanks. All right, you bet. All right, who else has got good news for us? Well, I always want to hear the good news, you know, people taking what we're learning and putting it into action. Okay. And one more time, anybody with good news, hop up. You know, if somebody comes in later with good news, they're always welcome to bring it. But uh, if nobody has any good news, then hit star 8 on the keypad on your phone to put yourself in the queue, and 
we'll be more than happy to take your call and uh, hopefully try and uh, get your questions answered for you. So I'm going to go to our first caller, who is Northeast Illinois, Chicago. And I'm going to guess that uh, might hey, be... Uh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I, that I, might I, be I, Sam. It is, and I didn't mean to uh, get any cute. And I apologize and hit the wrong button. Oh, okay. Uh, That's no problem. Get somebody with a real question. I'm just listening. All, all right. Thank you. All right, then we're going to go to Illinois, and i got to mute you and unmute you, and I'm going to guess that's Wayne. That is Wayne. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> he made life good easy for you, Sam. didn't he? Yeah, good old buddy, old man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I didn't know all of the call. I heard Terry earlier, so hello, Terry, Dave, and whoever else moderated that I don't know who's John, on. John and Jeff everybody. are here as well. All right, John and Jeff. Hello, guys. Hello. Okay. Okay. Hello. Um, now, real quick, Dave, just to get into this little real quick here, because uh, I'm trying, I'm just sitting out in front of a building here to go into a meeting, but I wanted to get this out before I go in there. Now, they sent the interrogatory with no no instructions, no definitions or anything. The only thing they had instructions on it was the request for production. Okay? Uh-huh. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I heard someone was telling me, actually, a couple of people were telling me, I never heard of this. Is it something that says that you're not supposed to send requests for productions with your interrogatories and requests for admission? No, you can send them all at the same time. I do it all the time. That's what I thought because I've done that before and I never had a problem with that. Okay, so okay, yeah. we corrected on that. You know, okay. if, if you were me, Dave, if you were me and you received this email talking about discovery, okay, and it didn't have instructions and definitions for the interrogatories, but it only had it for the uh, uh, request for productions, would you accept it? Well, well, you, you, if you get it, I mean, obviously you you accept it, okay? But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask John to come on uh, because he's our real discovery expert who's who's dealt with a bunch of this. And, John, what suggestions would you have for Wayne, given his situation? Let me get a quick recap from Wayne. Okay. Okay, John, we have a, my wife, uh, we got this lawsuit going, and we never gave, we never gave the court or anything uh, her email saying that we'd like to get discovered anything through the email. Uh, I preferred, we preferred a hard copy. We got our initial disclosures to hard copy, even though they sent it through the mail email. Yeah, but we told them we wanted the hard copy. They sent that late. They're doing everything late, and even their answers, way late. And in this situation here, John, um, we don't want to accept discovery via email. We want the hard copy. So we refuse to have it sent through the email. And what do your local rules say? Well, our local rules, well, what I remember from my other cases that I have done, I requested email because I had an attorney in Illinois tell me that he would not accept anything uh, discovery during email also. Well, but it goes back, like John said, what are the what do your local rules say? Uh, it didn't say that we couldn't, but, I mean, I understand that you can refuse email. Well. We don't have to electronic email. It doesn't. It, it's not to say that uh, you can refuse what they're sending you. It is not 
considered served unless they have delivered them to you by the manner prescribed by the rules, which generally is by you know, a traceable service like U.S. mail or FedEx or something like that. Electronic mail doesn't constitute service because you know, there's, there's many things that can happen in between. Right. That's where I was getting at. Absolutely. I'm gonna check the I'm gonna check the local rules, John, but I'm pretty sure that we don't have to accept it by electronic uh or email. Uh I'm pretty sure on that because um uh I remember this other attorney insisted on getting ESC cities was not gonna accept service through email. So that's what gives me the assumption that's the time that that's uh applied. Yeah, I'd go you know, do you have a set there with you? No, John, I don't. I'm actually sitting in my car. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say you could read it and then come back. But, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure, and I'm looking right now, because I, I've had to do this with law firms where I put them on notice, and actually I went and had a court, you know, order that they had to serve things by mail. Okay. So, and, sure. you know, that that's not hard to do. It's just paperwork. I had to do that. And okay. the court did issue that order. Okay. I'm going to check and see for sure, because they're putting some dumb stuff that I was just glancing through their, their stuff, and it's unbelievable. Now, just to give you guys a recap, this is something that happened, we're not even sure if it was 96 or 2006. They're not telling us yet. Uh, my discovery to them should be ready probably around about the 7th of next month when they got to have it to me. So mine's the one that they sent to me today. Um, of course, i got plenty of time. But their stuff is so crazy, what they're saying, what they're asking us to admit. The phone numbers that we have, she didn't even have them in 96 or 99. It seems like they don't even know what phone numbers that there were. We called Comet uh, last week. They said that they cannot verify any. Anybody, residential or business accounts, no more than two years. Well, you okay. know, you, you're just going to answer your questions accordingly on that. But the bigger question that you had that I wanted John to address was you, you said in the, the discovery that you got via email right now, anticipate you're yes. going to get the same stuff by hard copy. Yes. They, they put no instructions on the admissions or the interrogatories, only on the request for production. Correct. And you were kind of wondering how to deal with that. John, what kind Definitely. of suggestions you got on that? You mean to, to make them serve the things on time? No, not serve them. The fact that they didn't put any instructions in, in uh, they just sent a, a list of admissions. They didn't give any definitions, no instructions, no nothing. They're insufficient, well, John. Yeah, you can, you know, you you could argue that back, but you have to go line by line on the admissions. Um, you could you could move to strike the admissions because they uh, were not in a proper form, um, but then all they have to do is correct it and resubmit it. And then you're bringing, that, yeah, but then you're bringing the court into it, and the court really doesn't like to have to waste its resources on discovery 
matters. What you need to do to cover your butt is reply back on each admission that you know that it's in that it's in, the plaintiff can neither admit nor deny because plaintiff lacks sufficient information to draw a valid conclusion. But with with that in your cover letter that goes with that, you need to explain to the other side what it did wrong. And the reason the reason you want to do that is because you cover your butt again. Now, I don't know how long you have for discovery, but you always want to play fair in the sandbox. If you have to go in front of the judge, you didn't pull any shenanigans, you weren't a pro se, you were better than than the defendant attorney was. You actually stepped up and you said you 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 gave your objections to each one for a reason and you objected to each one because that way they couldn't deem to have it admitted. Um, but at the same time, you wrote a cover letter that goes with it and explained your reasons for doing so because of their um, failure to properly type up the document. Now, nowhere does it say you have to include instructions or definitions or anything like that. And, you you know, if you can get them into the argument or where they say, oh, well, no, we didn't, you know, we don't, we don't have to, and, you know, you're trying to tell us we have to, that's fine. Get into that argument with them because you've already covered your butt and answered each admission stating that plaintiff could neither admit nor deny because he lacks sufficient information to answer, you know, for whatever reason. So what happens if you get caught in that argument with them with a little paper letter battle is they're burning up discovery time. They're, yeah, burning so exactly up, what they're, doing. they're burning up their own discovery time. At the same time, on your attack, you serve your discovery on there and you hammer them. You make sure your discovery is done correctly. You make sure it's served correctly. And you hammer them to get the answers on time. If they look for an extension, the answer is no. <laughs> You've had sufficient time. You're an attorney. You have a law firm. You have research people. You've had time and no extensions. And, you know, don't make me compel this. I expect to see your, receive your responses. And if you don't, don't make me compel it because the court's going to look dimly on that based on the communications that I will submit. With right. Hey, John, hey John, and what we did is that we sent our discovery to them. They received it on July 7th. So they have our discovery already, and then we were able to, you know, of course, um, you know, get a little game into it a little earlier uh, prior to them, uh, you know, answering ours, because they got to give us ours back before I'm able to give them theirs back. But I cannot believe this so-called professional, supposed to be law firm, uh, uh, the mistakes that they're making and the crazy things that they're asking for, they're asking for my wife's medical records, Okay. Uh, for the last four years. I mean, why would you need our medical records for something for TCPA violations and all the dollar act and all of this nonsense? We didn't say that she was uh, having a mental breakdown because you gave phone calls. <laughs> yeah, that's that's standard nonsense that they put in. That's boilerplate discovery. Absolutely. It's, it's because, ridiculous. I mean, we're not going to do it with no medical. Yeah. 
it's not, it's not calculated. Record. Right. It's a, the request is not calculated to produce information relevant uh, or admissible at trial. So, I mean, yeah, they do that all the time. Okay. Yeah, because we're not going to produce any medical records that this outside the four corners of this uh, complaint for I'm concerned. Right. Well, okay. I, I just um, I just stated what what the response is. Gotcha. Hey, Dave, is your calls recorded after the calls? Absolutely. Yeah. All you yeah, got to do great. when 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 you go to talkshoe.com, just in a little search box up at the top right corner, put in uh, the pin number five four three one eight. And then just scroll down the page a little bit, and you'll see all the archive calls. You can either listen to it right there by uh, left-clicking on it, or uh, if you want to download the recording, you just right-click on it, and you can download it to your computer. Okay. Well, Every call I've time. done since I, since I started, I think the first one or two weren't recorded, but uh, basically there's uh, six years' worth of calls. Okay, well, before I hang up, I'll just make sure I'm clear. So, John, what you're saying is go by every interrogatory and basically just go repeating myself, basically, because I don't have any. See, the reason why I'm saying this, John, is because I remember a case some time ago. I was helping a friend of mine, and I came in during his discovery time when he called me to help mm -hmm. him. And I remember the attorney clearly saying that they could not answer that properly because he did not give them any definitions or instructions regarding you, your, what the word identify means, and all of this stuff. Right. I'm kind of like throwing it back at him. Yep. There you go. Yep. Because I can't see how we can answer interrogatories if you're not telling me or explaining to me what actually identify means or you or your or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, they they didn't give any instructions on you know how to answer the the questions because it, that's not just a admit or, uh, or deny. It's, mm -hmm. it's not a black and white uh, difference, or there is a difference because uh, the interrogatories can request a, a lot of different information rather than just a, a basically admit or deny answer. And then keep in mind that since they didn't give any instructions or definitions, they have precluded themselves from objections to your answers. <laughs> oh, okay. That's a good one, Terry. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, that's good. Okay, last thing with John. John, I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. So, therefore, therefore, uh, with the discovery, um, I know they got the request for admissions on there. So, I know the request for admissions here is 30 days, of course. But uh, even though that they sent this via email, would you suggest that I kind of watch out for that or just uh, what I mean by that? Because if you don't answer these things in 30 days, like right now, I feel I shouldn't accept it. I'm not accepting it. But I know requests for admissions have been put in there, okay? And, of course, those don't need instructions or definitions. And, but I know I've got to still watch out for the 30 days just in case. To cover my blood. Would you suggest that? You know, you have to make your own judgment call with that. It, it, I, I lack sufficient information for the whole case to even draw a conclusion with myself being in your shoes. Um, okay. But, you know, if I receive stuff by email that way, I'd wait a good two weeks or so to go by and then 
put in some type of motion, you know, asking the court to make them um, serve things properly by mail. Yeah, I'd make at least one request of them, you know, tell them, hey, look, I still haven't received hard copy pursuant to FRCP. If you're not going to do it, I'll have the, the court order you to do it. Of, you know, your of choice. They, of their I'd do that Dave's way if it was the responses, but if it's discovery that they've served on you, um, I think I'd go straight to the court. Okay. Because in their email today, it did say that uh, the electronic form and a hard copy is, is, is coming. But I think they did. They supposed had this stuff to me prior to the 20th. It said uh, discovery is to be uh, submitted by 7-20-2015. They're doing everything right on that day. They okay. Oh, well, okay, Wayne, let me, let me clarify something for you. Okay. If it's to okay. be served by the 20th, that means the date of service is the date of mailing. It's not the date you receive it. No, I understand. I understand. Okay. Because I give them mine early. I give them mine early. Yeah, I'm just saying. You're you're saying that they're waiting. You were supposed to have it by the 20th. No, they have to serve it by the 20th, which means it had to be uh, sent out today, whether it's FedEx or Postal Service or whatever. And then okay. you, you 30 days. You got 30 days, and then you had three days for mailing, unless your local rules tell you something different. Okay. Before you have to mail it back to them, remember, that's not when they have to have it in your hands because once you mail it, you have no control over it. So you're allowed three days uh, plus the 30, and that, and, and that means that's the date that you have to mail it by. Now, if it takes another 10 days for the Postal Service to get it to them, that's not your problem. Right. Okay. Okay. okay, well, I can't wait to share this call with because I'm sure I'm going to have uh, good enough uh, stuff to tell you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you're dealing with a, kind of a, a rather incompetent uh, law firm, it sounds like, and, yeah. uh, you know, it, it very possibly with all the nonsensical stuff, they're, they're just milking their client, but, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that's happened. So, no okay, and Dave, and just for FYI, I think they're getting ready to do the uh, the MDL for those uh, Midland credit. Yeah. Unless you know something we don't know. My my wife pulled up the uh, something on Law360.com or something like that, and it was listing uh, basically all of the defendants. Uh, I'm sorry, all of the uh, plaintiffs in the matter. Um, uh, and then she just put in Midland credit or whatever, Midland funding or whatever. But it was talking about if the person was represented by an attorney or if it was pro se, it didn't show anybody doesn't you know another name or anything. But it looks like it says Southern Division of California or whatever. Right. Okay. I'll tell you exactly where to find it. It's the Southern District of California, United States District Court, Southern District of California, and the case number is three colon eleven. MD, instead of CV, you know, we're all used to CV, you use MD and then 2286, and that'll take you right to the, the docket. That's 3 colon 11? 3 colon 11, MD, 2286. Gotcha. That's the Midland Encore, Midland Funding uh, MDL case. Okay. Okay, guys, that's all I need. I'm just going to let someone else jump in. I'll be on the Wednesday call. Thanks, guys. 
All righty. You're welcome. Dave, right, bye-bye. Okay. We can take care of that. Let's see. Oh, let's see what's going on here. Do I need to press something to get out? No. All you got to do is hit star six, and that'll mute you out. All right, guys. Thanks. Okay. Now let's see who we've got up next. Well, we're going to go over to the Midwest, Southern Indiana. You've been unmuted. Go ahead. Quick question. I just wanted to know uh, what was the email to get on uh, Sherry's Saturday night call? Terry's? It's Terry's Saturday night call. If you've got a uh, uh, question for Terry, you can send her an email at queensongbird at gmail.com. That take care of you? Okay, thanks. Yes, sir. Thanks. All right. You bet. All right. Let's go to Southeast Florida. And I got to mute you and unmute you to get you to drop out. You are unmuted. Go ahead. Hi. This is Maria. Question. Hi, Maria. With, re- with regards to Saturday night's call, um, if you received the email earlier today, would that mean that you're on the list or do we need to send? Nope, that means you're on the list. Okay, cool. But I'll send it Um, out to those requesting to be added to the list separately. Okay. Um, Well, I'm calling with regards to my um, joint stipulation that I'm getting. I need the attorney to sign. He didn't sign it, and today was the deadline that I gave him. And uh, I've already prepared my my motion. The joint stipulation for what? Discovery. I have discovery, and as a result, um, I sent them a. I actually I titled it uh, "Order Confidence uh, uh, Confidentiality Order." I know you guys say it's joint stipulations, agreed order, confidentiality order is what I titled it, um, and I sent it to to the opposing counsel for them to sign. They didn't sign it. Uh, you guys um, kind of suggested that I send them a, an email uh, letting them know that uh, if I didn't hear back from them that I would go ahead and file a uh, motion to compel. Well, they didn't. I did get an email from him earlier this morning telling me that uh, he was going to review it and let me know. And uh, one of the questions that he asked is, is, are the other parties willing to review also? I in meaning the attorneys for the attorney. And I told them no because I had not propounded discovery on them and I had no intention of pursuing the order with them until such time the the court rules for the motion to dismiss. Am I correct to saying that, that one, there are two different issues and entities, so therefore I can handle them differently? They don't have to be incorporated into one agreement? Oh, absolutely. They, they can't. They can't predicate their acceptance of a joint stipulated protective order on whether the uh, a, an unrelated defendant, different defendant than them, agrees with it or isn't even included in it. Yeah, that's that's regarding the, their discovery to you. Right. It's no, none of the business. No, no. 
or your discovery to them, either one. My discovery to them. My discovery to them. Yeah, it's it's just between you and that party. It's it's not a global. And that protective order covers both of you, you and that defendant, not you and the other defendants. Now, I know that I, I used the, the order that I believe um, has been used by some of the other people as well. And I'm not, I, I've read it, but I'm a little bit confused as to what it really all means. Is there any way that kind of like maybe someone can shed some light as to what it really supposed, what it really is intended for? <laughs> well, uh, we can't really get into that on the call. I mean, you, you 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 have to sit down when you have a document like that, and I know it's a little different because you know been there, done that. The best thing that you need to do is just sit down and read that document sentence by sentence and think about what is this saying. You you know I I know you're fast paced, and sometimes when you try and take information in too fast, it, you have a hard time. Uh, dealing with that kind of stuff that's unfamiliar. The best way I've found to do it is to slow down, take it one sentence at a time. What did that say? What is okay. that, what is that saying? And if I don't understand it, I'll go back and read it again and think on it. And sometimes I've had to read things over three, four, or five times. And then it's like, yeah. oh, okay, all right, yeah, now I get it now that I think about it. Also, Maria, when when you're the one drafting it obviously it's not full of sneaky stuff but if they send it back to you and say well here's what we suggest as a revision and we would uh, accept it with these revisions that's when you get real careful about reading what they want to put in there because one of the things that you're going to find they love to do is sneak in language that protects anything and everything, including the kitchen sink, by way of trying to prevent you from using evidence you glean in discovery at trial without it being under seal. Yeah, you pay particular attention to anything that if they want to make any revisions for them talking, uh, any kind of verbiage uh, verbiage about uh, things under seal, how they can be used and when they can be used. Right. That's okay. something to be very, very careful of. And if you okay. got specific questions on that language, that's when you can come on the calls and say, okay, you know, I've got the specific language that they want to put in. They they want it to say this. We can't just go over a whole general document and, and you know, because there's too much in there. Right. Well, I, I, I mind that if you – a really quick way to tick off a judge is to make the assumption that you have the right to deem what should or should not be filed under seal and kept from the public eye. Only the court is qualified and um, and is able to make decisions. Can like make that. that determination. Yes. Right. That is a decision that alters the general public's um, constitutionally protected rights. Okay. So when I file my motion 
my motion to compel. Do I need to put any case law? Because it's really short and simple. Just like no. I said. The court, generally, you're going to find that any court highly frowns upon either party objecting to a protective order. Yeah, being uncooperative. They view it as uncooperative and obstructive, you know, so you don't need case law. The court knows exactly why you would want a protective order. The, 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 my, I just did a one paragraph. It says, plaintiff submitted an agreed confidentiality order to defendant on June 23, 2015 for their review and execution. Defendants have failed to respond to my request. Plaintiff made a good faith effort and gave defendants until Monday, July 17th. Oh, God, I screwed it up. Um, to respond to my request, as of this date, this motion, uh, the defendants has yet to respond. Where plaintiff requests this honorable court to enter an order compelling defendants to enter agreed uh, confidentiality order so that the plaintiff can complete the discovery process. Very good. An agreed confidential or uh, an, an agreement, a confidentiality agreement, not a not an order. You want an order okay. uh, that they enter into an agreement. To right. Get your okay. Order accept the the entrance of the agreement. The put agreement. Okay. Up. Right. All right. So then I would have to I would have to okay so I would have to revise the 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 thing okay so um so it would it would actually be a joint stipulation joint uh, joint stipulated okay protective order or confidentiality agreement yeah. can call yeah. it either one yeah okay confidentiality agreement okay Dave, chat. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Okay, that's it for me. All right. Okay, let's go to... Oh, wow, debt be gone. <clears throat> yeah, everybody should have that. Hey, <laughs> you. Hello. Hello. <laughs> that's my ultimate aim. Uh-huh. Debt be gone. Okay, I have like a bunch of questions today regarding, I I got another a letter from another attorney regarding the FDCPA claim. So, um, so we have two attorneys representing the one plaintiff and nobody else is, ans- is like re- uh, uh, replying to me. But let me tell you, uh, the first thing is that she, uh, it's a lady and she's like making clay, uh, you know, trying to make it about the debt when it's not about the debt. So I know that's my first argument. Uh-huh. And I say it's not about the debt, it's about the action that they've taken, right? That's uh, right. The second thing is she made a mistake. I, I had to put about uh, my second claim was NJ UDAP. And she says you made a claim with against NJ De- Decep- Deceptive Trade Practices Act, which is NJDTPA. Is that is that should I make a comment about it or let it slide? Well, deceptive trade practices uh, is that the title under the New Jersey law? I mean, you got you got to look at that. She's she's saying there's a evidently a, di- a differentiation. Other? Okay, okay. You just got to make sure what exactly uh, that you you had your laws correctly that you're citing. You know what the title of the statutes are. 
No, no, mine is mine is correct. Mine is the unfair uh, unfair trade practices act. That's the UDAP, unfair and deceptive trade practices act. So it's the UDAP, but she says it's NJDTPA. So like I guess it's less. Well, less. it sounds like it's she's it's one and the same. I mean, okay. is there just a slight difference in the terminology? No, totally different. The, the, it's totally different, but uh, right, I should look up what the NJDTPA stands for. Yeah, you just got to understand the the argument. Okay. You know, it's hard to argue okay. something if you don't understand what they're saying. Okay, uh, okay. and she says, uh, you know, Unifund obtained a judgment against you, and indeed uh, Unifund's records show that you opened the account with Citibank, blah, 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 and the information was transferred so again, she's just stating that they have the right to collect from me. Uh, remember, gonna... Unifund is another one of those big buyers. Right. They don't have anything to substantiate that. That's right. But they have a judgment at this point. Yep. They have a judgment, and then my motion to reconsider was denied. But they got the judgment based on the fake affidavit, which has two different signatures. Oh, good. Then you have a cause of action to bring them in under the FDCPA because they use false and deceptive means in an attempt to collect a debt. Right. Right, right. The 11th Circuit, Mojivik versus Dinkin. Say it again. Mojivik versus Dinkin. Spell that, Jeff. M I L J K O V I C versus Dinkin, D I N K I N, 11th Circuit. Okay, I'm going to check that. Uh, mm. And it's and it's cited again in uh, CFPB versus Frederick J. Hanna. Yeah, on the uh, order on the motion to dismiss. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, mm. and, and see if if she puts a if if she is signed that as part of that debt collection exercise, you can now name her. Well, Jeff, oh. she, she's responding to Sharon's lawsuit. Yep. yep. Oh, I have okay. the FDCPA lawsuit. Yeah, yeah. She's she's filed an FDCPA lawsuit, and they're they're coming back defense on the other side. That's what she's dealing with here. Is it the and same law firm that filed the judgment? No. It's okay. a different law firm. But you knew the, can name the law, the law firm, firm also. Yes. Yes, I did. I named Unifund and the law firm and the attorney and the <laughs> affiant. I know you said not to, but I, I named her yeah. because she's a separate no, the, agent. The, the affiant's going to end up being dismissed. Yeah, yeah that, that individual will be dismissed. But I would suggest okay. to you, this is Sharon, right? Yep, yep. All right. I would suggest that you go through and read that CFPB, the um, uh, Frederick J. Hanna order denying dismissal. And mm-hmm. skip, you can, I would suggest you read the whole document, but just for your own information, skip on down through that document to the affidavits. Okay. Where they, they within that, they destroy the affidavit, and when they, uh, use a false and misleading affidavit, they violated the FTCPA. Right, right. Okay. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So you got, you, you're going to have something against them under uh, 
account or judgment which arose from a, a transaction initiated by you, and they're doing so on behalf of the original creditor or holder uh, of the judgment, and that it has been established that it is for personal um, or family use as opposed to business, the original Right, and at the, at the time, yeah, at the time that they pulled her credit, that was before the judgment ever occurred. Is that correct, Sharon? Right, right. They pulled yeah, it. Pulled it. Okay. okay, yep. Okay. And then they pulled it, there you go. They pulled it also when I filed the motion to vacate. So I know that's another, is that another? But Sharon, let me give you a little clue. Uh, go to the 11th Circuit, and you'll find my appeal brief has been filed there. That's Hinkle versus Midland. Okay. And um, read the appeal brief because we um, used the recent Bursaw case, which dealt with exactly this issue uh, over the permissible uh, pull. And feel free to grab the language. Oh, thank you. That is that's fantastic. Okay, and then uh, then I have two more quick questions. I know lots of people are in line. Uh, Dave always says read your local rules, and every time I keep looking at the local rules, I'm like, am I reading the right local rules? So, what am I for for this FTCPA case? Am I reading the same rules that I was reading when I was doing the civil case? What do you mean the civil case? No, your your other your other case was in state court. That was your right. uh, state rules. We're talking about your federal district court local rules. Is that the federal rules of civil procedure? Is that what it is? Well, no. no, you no, you have you have the federal rules of civil procedure, but then you need to go to your website of your federal court where you where you filed your suit, and look, and they should have. You should be able to find the local rules there. It's local rules for that federal court. Now, sometimes the local rules for a court, there isn't much because sometimes they'll go pretty much, they'll operate under the federal rules of civil procedure. But there are some district courts that have pretty substantial local rules that you know, they, they like to do things, you know, put a lot of little special nuances into things. And I'll tell you, the, I found out the Southern District of California, of course, California is a, a whole exercise in itself, but they've got all sorts of uh, local rules out there. I've got local rules for the Eastern District of Texas here. So what mm-hmm. you've got to do is go to the federal court website for the court you're litigating and where you filed your lawsuit and look for the local rules and read those. And remember and, and, that if there is no rule under a particular number you're looking for, then you, res- you revert to the federal rule. You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> I was just getting ready to say that. Okay. Yep. You look to see if there is a local rule concerning something, because if there is... Uh, then that's a departure from the federal rules, and you have to follow your local rules. If you're looking in there, and let's just say if you're looking for local rules on discovery and there aren't any, 
that means that you automatically default to the federal rules of civil procedure for discovery. Okay. Right, and Sharon, you you should go to Jeff's website and download and read that Bursa case as well. Okay, okay. I'm going to do that. And, yeah, and then my last question. You go, you go to the uh, you call up the website, go to the uh, in the news link. It'll take you over to in the news 2015, and it should be on that page. If it's not on that page, it'd be on the 2014 page. Well, I think I already have a bookmark that, so I, I have. That. But you'll find the CFPB uh-huh. versus uh, Hannah there also. Hannah, oh wonderful, great. Uh, and okay. the Mojovic versus Tinkin case as well. It's also there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Great. And the last question, uh, I'm coming up to, you know, like the time for filing the appeal because the motion for reconsideration was denied. So I think I have like 45 days here uh, in New Jersey, 45 days. Do you, uh, like, like since we're going to be negotiating, normally does negotiations finish within 45 days or do I have to file an, a motion for extension or whatever? Uh, what do you mean negotiation in 45 days? No, no. <laughs> I have still have the other case, right? The state case, I lost it, right? So I want right. to take it to appeal because it's not over. Right, it's I not understand over. that. I say it's over. So I want. I don't want to bypass the date. So I don't want to, like, you know, while I'm talking to, to them on the FDCP, I don't want to lose out on the time for the appeal. So Get is there a... Well, you finish saying what Jeff. Let her let her finish what she's saying, so we understand. Yes. No. So I was asking, should I file an extension of time, like right now, or should I file it closer to the end, to the forty-five you, days? You mean the, an extension of time to do the appeal? To file the appeal, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, um, I wouldn't wait until the very last day. I would probably go out, maybe, you know. Uh, if you've got 45 days, uh, maybe 35 days out, you know, put a motion in for uh, extension of time to do an appeal. You know, you're uh, involved in other litigation and you don't have paralegals or a staff to assist you doing research and uh, preparation of documents. You need additional time. That's what I always put in. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, uh... and I would ask for a 30-day extension. Yeah, which is not unreasonable at all. Right, it's just thirty days. And would I, do I need to pay the three hundred and whatever the fee is to file that extension, in case I don't file the appeal in the end? Uh, I don't know. You'd have to check check with your clerk of the court there. Usually, with with the appeal, uh, once you file in your notice, that, she's talking to state court, though, Terry, not oh, federal. Never mind oh, that. Does the appeal not go to Supreme Court? Where does the appeal go to? State court? What? Yeah. Well, you you need to figure out what court you've got there, you know, in New Jersey. Whatever, okay. Wherever the next court is, uh, up from uh, where you were, that's where you appeal right. to. Right. This, this attorney who sent me the letter, she says, uh, the doctrine reflects the principle set forth in so-and-so that the Supreme Court is the only federal court that has jurisdiction to review state court judgments. So I thought I'm supposed well, to Well, yeah, but she's, she, she, she's trying to argue res judicata, 
and you have to point out to her that this res judicata does not apply because you are not arguing the judgment. You are arguing the the behavior of the defendants in attempting to collect the debt and obtain the judgment. Okay. That's how you that's how you put a stop to that because you know that's that's typical for them to do that. Yeah. Can you tell me res, res judicata so I can search for it in the in the forum? Well, there res judicata means it's already been decided by a court. It's judicially I decided. I, know, I needed the spelling Absolutely. because I'm uh, arguing about the judge. Have an accent, yeah. you know. <laughs> res re. I'm joking. R e s. R e s. Judicata. J u d i. C-A-T-A, and when you put it in a document, put it in italics. Okay. Okay, thank you very and much. You don't, and you don't capitalize it. Okay. It's lowercase, italics. in italics. In italics, okay. Great, thank you. Very you're welcome. Care, Good questions. You're, you're out there doing your due diligence and getting uh, things done. Fine. That's great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Let's go to Illinois. Hello, Illinois. You've been unmuted. Hello. Uh, thank you. I've been uh, enjoying the conversation this evening. Um, and so, uh, one, I want to say I'm actually a member now. <laughs> well, congratulations. Good job. <laughs> so now, now, now that you've had a chance to look at it, it's yes. like, holy cow, man, there's a lot of stuff in here, isn't there? Yes, there is. And so I'm like, oh, my God, let me just sort of pick a point right now to kind of go in because I really do have a number of questions. Um, okay. Well, one thing, one quick comment is right up when you get into the website up in the top left uh, where you have the selection of things, there's a button up there, a link, how to use the website. Yes. Please go there. Yes, I've been going. <laughs> a lot of I've no I've talked to a lot of people that don't do that. They just want to go jump into things. Well, uh, you so know. I started and um, I even started going back to the archived webinars, and I really uh-huh. have to face myself. Um, but um, I'm sort of challenged, uh, like I think with the last call, because I'm right in the middle of a lawsuit or foreclosure uh-huh. lawsuit, and it's a securitized. Um, uh, it's a securitized uh, mortgage. Um, and so, again, I, you've helped me with some of my discovery quest- questions, and that's kind of like where I am right now. Um, mm-hmm. They sent, uh, the attorney sent a motion to strike my product, my request for to produce because they said they didn't get the actual request, but I refaxed them um, to them. Well, now, and, did no, hang on a second. You're you're sending your discovery by fax? No, 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 no. I oh, okay. The original discovery by mail with a return. Okay. They sent back a motion to strike saying they only got the instructions and did not get the actual request. Oh, okay. All right. Well, they can't strike it because you don't file it in, in the court there, do you? Uh, we don't file the discovery, only the um, cert- a certification or a certificate of service we file. Yeah, well, 
there want to strike something that hasn't even been filed. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's an interesting point. Um, well, stop and think about something. How can you? How can the court strike something that hasn't even been filed, and the court doesn't know anything about it? Hmm. All all it is is a say so. Well, you know, all we got was instructions. Well, guess what? I haven't entered it into the court either. <laughs> okay. Duh. What is it you always say, Dave? When the other side's screwing up, get the hell out of the way. <laughs> yeah, just let them hand out the rope. Oh. <laughs> Dispense rope very easily. But if you stop, think about it from a logic standpoint. If if it hasn't been entered into the court, how can the court strike anything? A motion to strike something that hasn't been entered into the court record is nonsensical. Well, that's okay. That's interesting because they have a number of of motions to strike around discovery. Um, you <laughs> might recall that one of them, like I had, um, admits I served them with some, more than thirty admissions. Admissions, yes. You're working. I'm working on that. Yes. Okay. Us. All right. I'm going to remind you because I remember we talked about that last week. Got to use terminology. Thank okay. you. Um, sure. But they have a motion to strike that as well. And um, we talked about that on the call, um, that the, our, our Supreme Court rule says that there is a limit of 30. So, but I had originally served them 22. So what I was going to do based off of the call was pull back on those admissions and resubmit eight admissions that are more very clear and direct. Mm-hmm. More um, pointed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So that was, but that, but there's a motion to strike that, and they have set up a hearing date to have that particular motion heard. Okay. Now, remember what we talked about last week? I, I said, go ahead and, uh, you, you know, if they put in a motion, you need to argue it, right? If you don't argue it, that means you agree with it, and the court's going to give the other side what they want in their motion. Right. So what you've got to do is argue it, and I believe I mentioned to you the way you want to argue it is uh, you want to state that you uh, have uh, contacted them, you've withdrawn the other uh, request for admissions, and you have uh, resubmitted uh, admissions, uh, eight admissions, which clearly is within the uh, – within the – statute uh, statutory requirement of number of admissions okay in other words you've corrected your your error if if you know they're saying there's an error that you you had too many or whatever you you tell the court hey i'm i've already moved ahead and i'm correcting the error this is what i've done and then when the court hears it and and you know your document they read your document and it says well if she's already corrected it here all right, well, then I guess your motion is going to be denied. Okay, I get that. So along those lines, so I appreciate that clarification, so thank you very much, Dave. Uh-huh. Sure. So along those lines, though, so um, if you might recall, uh, again, a couple of weeks ago, they, had, they were late on their admiss- admissions, submitting them. They put in the extension of time. The judge granted them that extension. The thing is, with those admissions, they never clearly admitted or denied. Their typical statement 
what is is like um let's see let me just read one of their statements in terms of the answers uh oh uh the allegations contained in the paragraph consist of legal conclusions to which no response is required to the extent a response is required the plaintiff states that the pooling and servicing agreement speaks for itself and is a matter of public record so all right. Well, now we we got to go back to what was what did your request for admission say? What was my request? It said Yeah. Okay, pursuant to the PSA section 201 conveyance of mortgage loans, the method of conveying mortgages to the trust only the depositor Long Beach Securities Corp is authorized to transfer mortgage loans to the trustee, Dutch Bank National Trust Company. That, and it was admit that? Or deny that, yes. And they didn't admit or deny. They said it was a legal conclusion, and it speaks for itself. But our Supreme Court rules say that they have to either say admit or deny or tell, give a reason why they, then they can't answer it. So these, their answers do not comply with the rule. Uh I sent them a letter saying, according to our Supreme Court rule for discovery, the the letter is kind of paraphrasing, granted you have the extension, but your answers do not comply with the rule. Please resubmit and admit or deny for these specific and for these specific requests for admission. Uh-huh. They reply back and say, "Okay, we'll reply in 14 days." Okay, I get another letter. We'll reply in 21 days. Now my scene is: I know they're trying to string me along, but I don't understand the game behind this. Well, it's a delay to eat up your discovery time. That's very simple. Okay. So Because you only have so much time for discovery, and when it runs out, they can say, you can't ask us any more questions and get any more information. Nah, 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 nah. Okay, so, but we don't have a discovery schedule set. There's never been a discovery schedule set. You, you didn't do a 26F? No, no, no. She's in a state court on a foreclosure check. She's not in a federal case. Okay. Um, But what they're trying to do is they're just trying to string you out. I I tell them you don't need 14 days. You've already had sufficient uh, time. Or, I mean, you don't need 21 days. You already stated in the letter 14 days. That's that's your limit. And you either answer it or uh, I can go to the court and file a motion to compel and have the court tell you to properly answer. Which would you like to do? Your deadline is 14 days. Okay. It, it's called get rid of the softball and get the hardball out. Yes, I am trying to do that, and I'm just wondering. Well, but you got to understand that this is a game that they play. This is how lawyers are trained. Um, you know, you got to understand one thing about lawyers. Lawyers don't go to law school and study the law. That, that, that doesn't happen. They go to law school and they're taught how to 
manipulate, how to lie before the court, how to um, manipulate you to get whatever they want. And uh, they're, uh, they're taught how to coerce answers out of people, how to be deceptive in giving answers. Um, but they don't study the law. That's why you know, when, with all the stuff that we do with TCPA and stuff, we run into lawyers all the time that don't, they don't know crap about the TCPA. Our members know far, far, far more just from being on these calls about the TCPA than these lawyers do. They don't even study how to understand the law. They study theory. All right. So anyway, just so you understand, I mean, their uh, their job is to obfuscate, BS, lie, misdirect, yeah. and every other thing in 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 that vein of commentary, and do that to win their case. That's all. Okay. That's their job. All right. So um, okay. So I'll resend. I'll send them a new letter on that and just tell them that they've had enough time and that they yeah. need to. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, you either do it voluntarily, or I'll have the court order you to do it. Which way would you like? Um, I appreciate that. All right, and so then my I have I think two uh, two other questions. So one, um, I just in terms of timing, and I know uh, you, nobody can really answer this, but I just want to kind of like get some kind of feedback on this. So I have there's a hearing coming up on the third. I put in a motion for an extension of time that is based off of getting back discovery. But I'm just wondering um, if it makes sense to put another motion to amend my answer, even though I don't want to re amend my answers until I get back discovery. <laughs> okay, I'm. You lost me. Okay. You're you're right. I, I don't understand. <laughs> so bottom line is, I'm wondering if I should still move forward with a motion to amend my answer, even though I well, have. Well, what is what is you're saying? Amend your answer. What is this? What is this motion? This hearing? What what is that about? The motion was for a summary judgment. So they they push for summary judgment. Okay, they filed for summary judgment. Mm -hmm. Filed for summary judgment. The judge put a briefing schedule together and said that I need to do my response. Instead right. of doing the response, I put in for a motion for an extension of time, indicating that I still had pending discovery. Okay. Pending discoveries. That's so that reasonable. Mm-hmm. I set to be heard until September, but there is a hearing set because of the motion for summary judgment. Does that make sense? So the the motion for summary judgment uh, deadline is far sooner than the date for the enlargement of time to be heard. Yes, yes. That doesn't make any sense. Usually the courts will rule on, on so, the other know, things. Usually a motion for enlargement of time to do that, you don't even need a hearing for it. Oh, okay. Well, so then what I'll do then is I will give the courtesy copy and ha so that it may be heard on that same day. Oh. Well, usually you want to get a ruling on that before the summary judgment date. Okay. Right. I mean, I uh, the the whole idea is why 
you know, it doesn't make sense to have something heard uh, after the fact. I mean, you got summary judgment in July and and uh, a asking for an extension of time to respond to it that's not going to be heard until September. That needs to be heard in July before the date for summary judgment, obviously, or they can just run right over you like a Mack truck. Mm, okay, so they, all right, so they didn't have that, um, they didn't have an opening for that date, like, you know, just the judge's schedule, but until... Uh, for the enlargement of time? Normally, you know, enlargements of time you don't have hearings on. I've never heard of a hearing on a, an, a, an enlargement of time to uh, respond, you know, to do an opposition. That's something you file with the court. They look at it and go, oh, okay, she needs more time. She's a pro se. She uh, she doesn't have a staff to uh, help her with things. Yeah, we'll give her a 30-day extension on her uh, the time she has to oppose the summary judgment. Okay, that that not, doesn't even make sense to have a hearing for that. I've never, I've never heard of a hearing for one of those. To be honest with you, that's not to say it hasn't happened somewhere. But I've asked for a number of extensions of time in the last four plus years that I've been litigating, and there's never been a hearing. They've been granted. I haven't had one turned down yet. Right, but so like, well, I don't know. In in, in the Chancery in Illinois, it, we have to. If, well, maybe I need to go back and look at that then. Maybe you need to look at that and talk to the clerk and say, look, you know, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense for this to have a hearing uh, in September for uh, getting an extension of time to uh, for something in July. Yeah. You know, how to how, you know this needs to get in front of the court so the court can see that I need more time now. Okay. How do I do that? What's the procedure? I'm not asking for legal advice. I'm asking for the proper procedure. Get that cleaned up. Thank you. Um, uh -huh. And then just the last portion, last question. Um, so I think Jesse, you were mentioning some cases um, earlier, and I was trying to keep up with them uh, about where I could possibly find those and just kind of look at them as well. They sounded very that's Jeff. Jeff, yeah, Jeff. He, that's at his website. Jeff, you want to tell her where she can find out stuff? Yes. Uh, you have a pencil and paper ready? Ready. Uh huh. Voidjudgments.net. V O I D J U D G E M E N T S dot net. Scroll okay. down towards the bottom of the page and click on what's in the news. Okay. That'll take you over to uh, the pages for this year so far of court cases that we have found. And there are three years underneath that, two years underneath that, 2013, 2014 as well. Okay, great. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That's it. Thanks a lot. All right. You squared away? I think so. I got enough. <laughs> <laughs> enough to keep you busy for at least another 24 hours, right? <laughs> All right. We're going to go to Hagoog. Had to mute you and unmute you. Go ahead. Yes. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Hello. Good, good. This is Hagoog from Atlanta. Um. Let me see. Two quick questions. Uh, dealing with the uh, certified interest of persons, uh, I forgot that I had to file one. Uh, certificate of interested person? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I said certified. I mean certificate. Uh-huh. Oh, thank you. Your 26-8-1 disclosures. Yeah. And I forgot to file it. I misread my order on June 11th this year uh, that I had to file one because I was so busy trying to answer the motion to dismiss. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, uh, you, you, do you, I don't believe you you file that in the court. That's something that you provide to the other party, unless your court spe- specifies that it must be filed in the court. But I, uh, in our jurisdiction, we don't. We just send it to uh, the other the other side. Yeah, let me see. Uh, it said because uh, they filed one in court. Uh, they did. Yeah. Let me see. Uh, the order says, uh, the court orders plaintiff's Kenneth Davis to file the CIP within 14 days of entry of this order. So they said to file it, that means to file it in court, right? Yeah, if it says to file something, yes. Yeah. So, so I've been No, you're not talking if uh, it's stating a, a certificate of interested parties, not a corporate disclosure statement. Right, those are says, those are different. That's right. It just says certificate of interested party, but so I missed it because I had to do it in fourteen days from June eleventh. Well, the day better, I this order. better late than never. Just do it. File it. Or do I have to file an act of a request for an extension of time to file it? Well, <laughs> no, just file it. <laughs> okay. That's if I was late and it's like, oh crap. Uh, inadvertent error. You just got busy with well, the other stuff and you didn't get it done. You, the main thing is file it because then it's on yeah. record, right? Right. Because uh, I, I had to file one last year and I'm using the same template and I changed the dates on it and all I had to change is from the 24th to the 21st. <laughs> same same month last year. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, what what I would do in that situation if, if uh, you know, you somehow miss that is just get it filed. And they can't say, well, you know, you failed to, to file this. Well, no, you didn't. I It turned out to be uh, late, but uh, I filed it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I, uh, I just changed a couple of uh, things in it from what I filed last year, and I was going to file this. Uh, I, I think I got it. The title of the certificate, this disclosure. What did you say? Twenty-six A one initial disclosures. Yeah, I just I just lost the thing. I, I had it pulled up on my computer. Uh, I, I kind of titled it the same way they they titled theirs. I didn't put twenty-six in there uh, as far as the title. Yeah, well, you know, hey, you look at what the other side does. Oh, that's how you do it? Okay. I just put my information in the same format. Jeez, you know. Right. How how right. did I learn to do a bunch of this stuff? Just by what you're just talking about. Right. You know, yeah. it's not like it hasn't done before. It hasn't been done before. It's been done tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. Just go look how the other guys did. Oh, that's that's how they do it. Okay, well, yeah, jeez, I I can copy that. That works. Right, right, yeah. I, I just it really is pretty doing. easy sometimes. Yeah, it is. I, I I thought I might be in a little bit of trouble with this. I'm trying to 
Because I've been messing up a few lawsuits, and I wanted to make sure this was right. Well, because you, you, gotta... you, yeah, you need to be careful and stay on top of this stuff because it makes you look inept when you miss too many things. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. I've made mistakes. Yeah. You know, mistakes can be corrected, but you don't want to be making a bunch of them because then the court looks at it, oh, man, you know, this guy, he, he keeps screwing these things up. You know, you don't want the court looking at your stuff and, and thinking that kind of stuff. You know, right. everybody <laughs> makes a mistake in a case like this where you forgot to do something. Just get it in there tomorrow. You know, well, 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 yeah, it's it's late, okay, but it's there. Well, 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 this this is the thing. I had a, a FTCPA case uh, done last year uh, in federal court. I don't think it was FTCPA, but it, it was done in federal court last year, in Northern District Court. And I had I paid an attorney to help me correct the same error, and he typed it up as a plaintiff's. Uh, Certificate of Interest Persons and Corporate Disclosure Statement. So, and, and what I and I read the clo- the corporate disclosure part is asking about who had ten percent or more uh, of stock in the party. I said, how would I be able to uh, to testify yeah, to that? You don't. That's unnecessary for an individual. For you, yeah. Sounds like a well, bonehead attorney. I know it. I know it. Yeah. That's he's padding his belt. Come on. Yeah. Dum dee yeah. dum dum. Yeah, he, yeah. He's got to charge you one hundred and fifty dollars. He's got to put enough down there. It looks like it's worth charging you one hundred fifty dollars yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So I, I looked all over the internet trying to find some some kind of template. I looked on you uh, jurisdictionary because I'm a member of that. You know, and I couldn't find nobody talking about it. Uh, this. Uh, uh, but there is, you're not uh, a corporation. There isn't any corporate disclosures for you. It's simply I mean, the well, certificate well, of a, interested parties. Right. Even the certificate of interested party, I couldn't find that hardly nowhere. Yeah. On on, on jurisdictionary or anywhere. Well, I mean, just go go into your thing and and look at other cases. They're going to have to be filed in in other cases. Yeah. Just go go in a docket on oh, another okay. case Thank and you. look. Yeah, Pacer, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah Pacer. Pacer, I've, I've right. told everybody, the best textbook out there for me has been Pacer, for me learning. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I've got the NCLC books. I've learned a ton out of those. But overall, the biggest amount of learning has come right from reading a ton of stuff on Pacer. Yeah, I just uh, reordered a new edition of uh, NCL books with the uh, FDCPA. Mhm. Yep. That's good stuff. Yeah. yeah I, all right. I, I, well, what, I, 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 what other questions you got? Because we're running down to I the think, end of the call here, and I got some other people with questions, and I want to try and get everybody in. That, that's all. You know, I always have two or three questions, but I can't never remember for one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you gotta get, gotta write them down then. All right. All right. Take her right. easy. All right, take care. All right. Yeah, we're going to keep going here. Let's go to northern Missouri. Hello, Missouri. Well, they muted themselves. As soon as you muted me, I muted behind you myself. Yeah, there you go. Playing with those buttons there, buddy. Hey, uh, a couple things real quick. an FYI, synopsis of what's going on for everybody out there in TV land. Uh, 
I a rescission on a note and mortgage that I uh, have uh, have a note and mortgage on my house that I refied back about ten years ago, and so the diligence regulations say that this has to be done within three days of confirmation of the note and mortgage being consummated. So, uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm screwing everything up. Anyway, so what I've done is I've rescinded. Now, just for your information here, this is just for giggles. They sent me a letter back. I received today after 60 days of my rescission letter being sent to them, they sent me a copy of the original TILA disclosure allowing me to rescind my note and mortgage within three days. And the uh, language on this says that I have three days from the date of signing to rescind, but that's not what the TILA regulations say. They actually say three days from consummation. So those are three, three days from what? The consummation of the note in the mortgage, which means oh, okay. All right. the contractual obligation has begun uh, after consummation. So, in your opinion, wouldn't you think that the language on that? would be, lack of a better word, inept, inaccurate, uh, because that's not what, that's not what Tiller reads. It, it reads from the data consultation. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'd have to look at the language, but it uh, uh, could be misleading. I think so. It would be an improper statement, at least. Uh, so anyway, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, it's just not day for you, Dave. I know I sent you the decision uh, letter. Um, the next letter I'm planning on sending out is a statement saying that I am going to need to find out when the Corporation of America's Wholesale Lenders consummated the loan for the validation of their statement. And uh, we're going to go with that, Steve. What we're going to do with it, where they're going to go. So uh-huh. that's think, a discovery. Well, now we have to take this to court because the backside of this is if they don't file within one year of the date of the letter being issued to them, they lose the right to collect any funds that would otherwise be due during a rescission. Uh, in a rescission, the creditor must credit back the original funds or any funds that have been submitted to them uh, through payments from the borrower, those, those, those dollars have to be credited back to or given back to the borrower. And then the borrower's, ob- borrower's obligation is to return the complete amount of money that is, has been given to the borrower for the transaction. That's short version of that. But uh, so they have one year to actually file with the courts. I may be losing you here because I'm coming in from that area. But they have one one year to file with the courts saying that the rescission was improper. So if they don't file within one year, they lose the right to file against the person, the person requesting the confirmation or the... Uh, the rescission. 
Yeah. Yeah. And they're uh-huh. just play on words, but uh, the actual transaction included that uh, under TILA, each borrower must be provided two forms so that they have the right with these two pieces of paper, two documents each, to rescind, rescind the transaction. Of course, those were never given to us. They gave us one for, the, for my wife and I instead of four. So they failed in that area. That was the basis of my rescission whenever uh-huh. I sent them the note of rescission. But under TILA, the rescission document is self-enacting and doesn't require a court order. So that's, that document uh, actually acts as rescission. And the provisions under TILA do not provide the servicer nor the lender the right to uh, determine whether or not the rescission is proper. They actually have to file paperwork in court to void the rescission, which they have not done. So, and there again, uh, I don't think they, they actually have read the wording in the document, nor have they read the Supreme uh, uh, Court's decision on the television. Anyway, that, that's does that surprise you? No, no. <laughs> that's what makes it fun. Uh huh. But uh, that's where we're at on that. Uh, okay. And uh, I, I guess uh, we're getting here late, and I'm taking up enough time. I'll uh, I'll be back in tomorrow, and uh, I'll listen in, and hopefully we get a couple minutes from somebody behind me here in the third question. So let's say thank you. Well, uh, yeah. Tomorrow night, so we're doing a webinar on Blog Talk Radio. Okay, that's right. That's right. Well, uh, we'll see you uh, talking. We'll listen in, and I'll uh, be uh, on Terry's call, so you all have a great night. All right. Thanks. Be safe out there on the road, buddy. Okay. We're going to – we got three more calls here. We'll try and get through these as quick as we can here, and then we're going to wrap it up. So we're going to southeast Florida. You've been muted and unmuted. Go ahead. Southeast Florida. Maria, is that yes, you? Yeah, that's me. Sorry, I was trying to unmute myself. Um, yeah, actually, two quick two things. Uh, the regards to the gentleman on the 26 step disclosures, that's on the website. If he goes, I don't know which are the ones, but if he goes to the 26 F conference webinar, they have that disclosure there that he can use. There okay? you go. And, and then on the other thing, on that lady with the motion for some, uh, summary judgment, she has to be really careful. She, if she's, she has to get her motion heard before the final summary judgment, and it has to be an emergency motion, however it's handled over there. Here in Florida, you have to file a mo- an emergency motion, and then they'll allow you to come in, and there's, there's a special calendar that you can go in you know within with 48 hour notice to be for the motion to be heard but in any event she should prepare herself to um for that hearing on the final summary judgment and there's something that she can file or that she can prepare which is an affidavit in opposition and basically the affidavit in opposition just simply states that the reasons why 
there is still material issues, materials of issue, or facts of material issue, facts, whatever it's called. Well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. An affidavit cannot make arguments. No, you can't make I'm arguments not... in an affidavit. An affidavit has to be a statement of first-hand fact, knowledge of an individual, nothing more. And that's what that is. It's, uh, it's basically her stating that there is still material facts within the case that precludes them from getting a final summary judgment. No, actually, that's conclusory. No. Well, the only I know that I, I kind of been researched that a little bit through the during the time of my trial, and I know that there's some sort of document that can be done in opposition to the final summary judgment. Maybe. Well, can... yeah. I mean, you you have to do your opposition, and you put a, a, a affidavit in with it, but you have to be careful. If you make those kind of statements in an affidavit, you're making conclusory statements. That's not a statement of first-hand fact knowledge. That's a conclusion that you've reached. See, you've got to understand what a conclusory statement is and what a fact is. A fact is that today was Monday, and it was the 20th day of July. That's a fact. You're, you're aware of that. Um, it is your opinion. It is your conclusion that there's issues of material fact in this case. That's up to the court to determine, but that's the conclusion that you've written. You can't put that in an affidavit. That'll, that'll discredit your affidavit. Okay. Got to be real well, careful of that stuff. The, the, well, I guess my suggestion would be is um, do a Google search or YouTube search. There's a whole bunch of stuff on that relating to that. Um, you know, just opposition to final summary judgment, yeah. and that might well, give her some indication as to what can, she can do. Well, yeah, okay. her yeah, her biggest thing, Maria, was the, she put an enlargement of time or an extension of time to oppose it, and the hearing for that was after the summary judgment time deadline, and that's what I was telling her. She needed to get a hold of the court clerk and find out what the deal was there, but I, I think we got her squared away on that. Okay, okay. Uh, all right, so I misunderstood. Well, uh, one of the things, I have a little bit of good news. Um, I had a friend of mine call me, and he had received a, um, a motion um, for, from a creditor basically asking him that he didn't comply with, uh, you know, when they, they ask you for all your bank statements and everything else when they have a judgment against you? Yeah, an, exa an examination of uh, assets, yeah. right. Yeah. So I, I kind of told him what to do, and he kind of did it, and he called me the other day and told me that uh, that the attorney is um, rescinding the, you know, taking back the, the thing and closing out the case and everything else. So I was like, oh, that's good. Oh, good. So, good. So it was kind of nice. And then my, yep. final, my final question, just to make it real quick, my discovery um, that I propounded to the attorneys is due on the 24th. I'm still in the process of getting worked out the agreement for them to sign. How would that, if I don't get the agreement signed, then, and their, their discoveries do on the 24th, what does that mean? I don't know what it means. It means if you don't have a thing in place, they might come back and, and uh, object, uh, you know, because the, the information requested is confidential and there's no confidentiality agreement in place between the parties and we're not going to answer it. Mm -hmm. 
you might get an answer like that. That's why it's always good to push that confidentiality agreement early, early, early on and make sure it gets done. Keep right, you okay. know, just so get right down their so, neck. So if they don't, so if they don't proceed with it, then that's it. I'm host because if it comes Friday, then it's irrelevant. Correct. I don't understand what you mean. If the the discovery is due that I propounded to them is due Friday, the 24th. Okay. So I'm going to go tomorrow morning and file this motion with the court. I doubt if the motion, the court is going to go ahead and, and, and give me an answer. No, it's not going to get acted on by Friday. Exactly. So if I don't have it in place by Friday that it's the discovery due, can I still get it enacted after Friday and still pursue it? Well, sure. You Absolutely you want to keep pursuing it. You never because know what might come, be going on after that. Because if they come back and give me some bogus answers, then I can, well, there, there is you no can po- You can point to the fact that they're, they're uh, that being obstructive and because they refuse to uh, engage you. Now, you said you had an email from that lawyer this morning. He said they would uh, review things and get back to you. Yes, he did. Okay, and well... Then in, you know, did he say but, uh, he would get back with you today? Yeah, he didn't. Okay, well that's okay. So just oh. uh, you didn't, you obviously didn't hear anything. So I think I would email him tomorrow. Say, uh, you know, need to get this confidentiality agreement in place. Uh, let's uh, let's get it done. You know, we okay. don't have any time to waste. No, my my next question is: If I do have to file this motion, do I attach the agreement to the or, to the to the motion? I would. I would. Okay. okay. All right. So my and then my first. Let's see what the court does with it. Mm-hmm. So my first my first line line of defense is to go ahead and pursue for them to go ahead and sign it, and if I see that by the end of the day they haven't been made we haven't made much progress, then just go file it. Yeah, well, I just tell them, look, you know, it, this needs to get done. It needs to get done now. There's been enough delay on it. If you need to agree to this, uh, otherwise, I'm going to file a motion with the court. Okay. All right. You know. I'll do that first thing tomorrow morning. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. All right. We're going to go to New York. Hello, New York. Yes, how you doing? Hi, hi, hi. I'm doing all right. Yourself? Okay, okay I'm doing pretty good. I was just going to ask you, if you have um, companies and a credit report that put your credit, and then you sent them a letter, and the letter came sent back... Sent them a letter you, about what? You sent them a letter um, asking them um, as to why they put your credit, and the letter came back to you because it's the wrong address. Okay. How would you um, find the company? Do research. Do research. Yeah. Okay. Companies so, move. Um, they change names. They do all sorts of stuff. But as far as the credit bureaus, though, do you think it's, it's a violation on their part for reporting? Um, Does is it what now? Uh, but do you think it's a violation um, for the credit bureaus for reporting the wrong information? 
Well, what is what does the FCRA require? I gotta read that. I gotta read that. Well, yeah. If you're you're asking questions <laughs> about something and it's obvious you don't have the basics down, um, yeah. You, the the Fair Credit Reporting Act requires anybody that furnishes information, uh, and if the uh, credit reporting agency uh, provides that information, to anybody, it's it has to be accurate. Okay. All right. So I guess I gotta um to go back and read the door. You you need to do some studying. You need to go through Terry's webinar series. Are you a member? Okay. Oh yeah, I've been a member. Okay. Go through uh, what lies in your credit report. That whole webinar series that Terry did. It was very comprehensive. She did a great job mm -hmm. on it, and it covers all that stuff. Okay then. I'm okay. Okay. Okay then. All right. It. Thanks. Sure. All right. We're going to go to our last caller, which is. Northeast Chicago, and I'm going to guess that that's Sam. Yeah, Danny, real quick, uh, for this young lady. Um, oh, what else did I mention? Did I lose him? Uh, can oh, you, can you jump okay. off your speakerphone? It's, uh, All right, I'm off now. Uh, okay. Tell the young lady, uh, the, the, the one lady was correct. Uh, the lady in Illinois that's in Chancery Division, she goes... Um, to the special clerk for the Chancery Division, specifically for their judge, I don't know the floor, file an emergency motion and make sure that she asks what is the date for motions and tell her to have her calendar and have three dates minimum that she can be heard prior to her summary judgment date, and it must be a week in advance. I've done it, and she has to be specific on the date, and she has to say in her motion the word emergency. It has to be in the heading. Okay, there and you go. grant that to her. Okay. <clears throat> Emotion, emergency motion, motion. For, for extension of time, time. To, to oppose summary judgment, right? Correct. That's all she has to do, and they will grant her the date, but she has to ask what date the judge hears emergency motions. There you go. That's it. There you go. Well, thank you very much. And see, that this is here's a real good example where we've got somebody that's litigated in the same area and is familiar with these things that can give the member that's looking for help, give them specific information that's relevant to that. You know, I'm not in Illinois. I'm in Texas. We can give guidance, but uh, Sam there just uh, has been through the process before, so that's specific information, and he's uh, from Illinois, so he knows exactly how those courts work. That's great. Thank you very much, Sam. Dave? Yeah? I, I found my stuff for Sam um, regarding um, getting served in the mail. So if we have... Was that, was that Sam or, or you mean Wayne? Oh, it was Wayne. That's right. Yeah, it was Wayne. Mm -hmm. it was, I wonder if Wayne's still on the phone. I don't know, but uh, Sam, I think, is still on the phone and uh, uh, could tell him, you know, hey, that you brought a comment in here right at the end of the call. Okay, well, basically... Okay, basically, yeah, go ahead, John. I'm listening. Okay, basically, um, he's not getting served with stuff in the mail. 
and he's got to check the local rules, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same thing where you are as it is here. And what I did in that instance is the first place I tried calling the attorney to tell them. And because they didn't answer the phone, I sent a letter, you know, regarding the above captioned. And in a good faith effort to resolve the following matters, I did telephone you yesterday, left a voicemail and received no response. Therefore, I write you to seek a resolution. So it's nailed right on the head there. And then you have failed to serve me with any of your notice or motion filings per Federal Civil Procedure Rule 5. Pro se litigates may not participate in CMECF in this district. Therefore, I do not and cannot receive e-service. Moreover, I have not waived receipt of service by U.S. mail under Federal Civil Procedure 5B2, and I do not intend to do so. So I laid it out carefully that way and told them that use the address at the top of the page. And once receipt, um, in order to resolve these matters in good faith, amicably, and without court intervention, please correct your filings on the docket and serve them to me via U.S. mail to my above address of record. Once received, and if a responsive pleading is necessary, I would seek your cooperation by not opposing a motion for enlargement of time to respond. So in other words, you know, serve it to me properly and don't dick around because if you do, I'm going to go ahead and see it, seek a motion for enlargement of time because they haven't served you properly in the first place. And again, I reiterate, you know, consider this my good faith effort to resolve these matters without court intervention. If you wish to discuss it, contact me. Okay, well, I did that, and, and I, you know how I do things. I type up a letter, I mail it to them, and I also email them a copy of the letter. And that didn't work, so when the issue came up again in emails, I told them that, you know, I just tried to reach you, um, I noticed you did such and such. I've still not received service of any of your filings in the mail. My communication here is not for settlement discussions, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is a good faith attempt to resolve this matter of your lack of service um, without court intervention. Please contact me as I'm contemplating my next steps. And, you know, of course they didn't, and they didn't mail it. And then I went in and put in a, you know, basically a two-page motion, laid out the background of it, told them that I notified item C, you know, exhibit A and B that's attached to it. The pro se in writing and in conversation did request counsel serve all filings on him by U.S. mail, and he did not agree to any other means of service in writing or otherwise. The district court uh, Pro se parties are prohibited from participating in the CMECF and therefore do not, cannot receive e-service. The local rule 5.1 states in part, pro se parties are exempt from this requirement pursuant to section 2C of the CMECF administrative procedures. So I went and looked at that document and that part states that pro se litigants will be served and noticed by U.S. mail or in person. Because in addition to your federal rules and your local rules, there's going to be a CMECF Administrative Procedures Manual to look at. Okay, The proper procedure 
and this is what I typed from the manual, it's made explicitly clear where it states a party who is not a user or is not otherwise authorized to electronically receive notice of electronic filings is entitled to a paper copy of any electronically filed document. It is the responsibility of the filing party to provide the party with the electronically filed document according to the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. When mailing paper copies of documents that have been electronically filed, the filing party must include a notice of electronic filing to provide the recipient with proof of the filing. Addressing how services made, FRCP Rule 5B2C states in part, mailing it to the person's last known address. Though the pro se requested counsel mail all of its filings in this matter to him, defendant's counsel has continually failed to mail any of its filings to the pro se and therefore, and thereby prejudice the pro se. So, I mean, I laid it out as clearly as I could, and that's just what he needs to do. Send a letter with a copy of the letter by email, do a follow-up by email, make a couple of phone calls, and if that doesn't work, file the motion. And in his instance, it has to do with discovery matters, and you can do the same thing with discovery matters. There you go. John, thank you very much. I'm sure I'm going to tell Wayne to make sure he writes this down verbatim. Uh, that's excellent. Uh, didn't know that, but that's excellent information to know because that's right yeah, out of the... Uh, right out of the rules. the rules. You've got to look at your local yeah. rules to make sure it's consistent with where I am. And it's right at the end of the call tonight. And thanks, Dave. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, John. Thank you, guys. Thank you for right. throwing that out. Yep. Thanks for uh, getting that information over to uh, Wayne as well, Sam. Appreciate it. Can you hang up, Dave? What? Dave? Yes, Hello? I am. Oh, I, this is this is the the woman in, in Chicago and Sam and I wanted to find a way to to connect because you were sharing some great information but I didn't catch it all. Is there any way that we can do that? Yeah, just send Terry an email. She'll she'll make sure to get the uh, your email address to me. Okay, I'll send it to Terry. Yeah, that's all you have to do. With yeah, Sam. Just to, yeah, you want to contact Sam in Chicago. Okay, wonderful. I'm gonna do okay. that tonight because I need to talk to you ASAP. Yeah. Sure, certainly. Sam, there you go. Sam, what what does your email start with? M A R I. M A R I. Correct. Oh, okay. I just gotta make sure I'm sending her the right one. Thank you. All right, thank you, Terry. I, I did it again. I just imposed without asking if you could do that. No, 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 I do it all. No, no, that's that's that's, that's fine. That's great. Okay. Main thing is that people get the help. I appreciate that. I appreciate you all. Thank you so much. We're a community. Please spread the word. Yes. (laughs) Please spread the word that we're here so that other people that need help uh, can come and learn as well. Yes. All right. It's time to wrap it up, everybody. We're way past the two-hour mark tonight, but uh, that's okay. The main thing is we're helping people. So uh, bottom line is thanks very much for joining us tonight. Tomorrow night there is a webinar for all the members. Uh, You have to be a member to participate in that webinar, and I'm going to be doing that webinar, and it's going to be on Back to the Basics and TCPA. 
So uh, especially if you're a new member, it's going to be uh, touching on that stuff, and then we'll have a bunch of Q&A where we can answer questions for people on that. But uh, some uh, we've gotten so advanced on a lot of things that we wanted to get back to some of the basics and be able to point people in the right direction. So that's the whole purpose of that webinar. And then, of course, Wednesday night is Terry's call. There is a webinar for members uh, Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock Eastern time to find out what is the subject matter of that. All you got to go to is go into the website to the upcoming webinars button. Click on that and it gives you the schedule. So uh, Wednesday night, Terry's call. If you're not on her email list, one more time, her email is queensongbird at gmail.com. Simply say, please put me on the list. That's all you got to do. And with all that said, I bid everyone adieu for tonight. We'll uh, talk to the members tomorrow night. And uh, you'll probably hear my voice on Terry's call on Wednesday because I'm kind of a regular fixture there as well. That's her Thanks, the- everybody. Have a great evening, and we'll talk to you soon. All the co- Am I still there, Dave? Yes, ma'am. You sure are. For all the callers sending me an email asking to be added to the list, if you're asking to be added to the list for the special conference call on Saturday, please say so because that's two different lists. There you go. Yep. All righty. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.